What's up team? Welcome to episode 7 of our Society Nutrition podcast. Would you believe this is probably the 15th time I've tried to start recording this? Not like me. Um, So we are back this week to talk about the menstrual cycle. Uh, I get asked about this a lot, um, especially from some of the girls in the group. I've spoken about it quite a bit before, but it's always good to have something for you guys to refer back to. I just want to start by saying that if you are a female listening to this, as I know some of my clients have said, you know, I don't really know a lot about the menstrual cycle. Is it supposed to affect me in this way? Is it supposed to affect me in that way? Am I supposed to feel this? Is it normal? Please don't feel like you should know the whole ins and outs of your cycle just because you're female. Listen, there are adult men walking around out there that still don't know how to find the clitoris. So if you don't know about your cycle, do not worry. I am here to educate. So I'm going to take it right back to the beginning. I'm going to go through uh, what the menstrual cycle looks like, the different hormones, reproductive hormones and their effects throughout the cycle, what that impacts and what you can potentially look to do to help yourself throughout your cycle. Um, So we're going to start with reproductive hormones. So the main hormones that we're going to discuss, the ones that have the most effect throughout the cycle are estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. So we're going to start with estrogen. So estrogen in my eyes is kind of like the good guy or the good girl, (laughs) whichever one you go with. Um, But estrogen is a good hormone and overall there are more positive effects than negative with estrogen. So Estrogen is responsible for the development of women's secondary sexual characteristics, so developing breasts, giving us that nice pear-shaped body fat uh, deposition. Um, It also limits upper body and visceral fat, which is protective of us. It helps protect against the risk of heart disease, and it's also gearing us up for good old childbearing. Uh, Estrogen is also critical in bone mineral density. It acts on the brain to help reduce our appetite and our hunger. And it does this through its production of leptin and driving leptin sensitivity. Now, leptin is a hormone which is responsible for satiety and feelings of funness and energy expenditure. So it helps to drive that, which is a good thing. It also increases intramuscular triglycerides which is a very posh way of saying an energy source which sits within our muscles so again very positive it prevents inflammation which can help to limit muscle damage and kind of muscle soreness which plays a direct role in remodeling of skeletal muscles so it helps with our adaptation to any kind of training that we do it has a key role in cognitive and mental function and like i said overall lots of positive effects from estrogen it tends to get a bit of a bad rap especially within the menopause Um, and that is actually due to the lack of estrogen that we see in menopause which I will park for another podcast so we're going to move on now to progesterone so this is a steroid hormone and it can actually be converted into other hormones like cortisol like androgens so cortisol is a stress hormone androgens are male hormones so it can bind to up to four different receptors which means that it will block the hormones that normally bind there so it's a little bit of a pest is progesterone um when we have a rise in progesterone we see an increase in basal body temperature so with that increase comes an increase in your kind of energy expenditure and your resting metabolic rate uh, which 
you will understand more of how that affects us when I go into the menstrual cycle. Uh, progesterone also cancels out most of estrogen's positive effects. So when progesterone is dominant and there is more progesterone than estrogen, it cancels out its positive effects. Then you're going to partner that with potential increase in hunger and appetite and also causing a little bit of insulin resistance. Now, if you're not too sure about what insulin resistance is, again, I'll park that for another podcast, but that essentially is going to cause further appetite stimulating effects. Um, So yeah, bit of a pest. It can also bind to different receptors, like I already said. So it can bind to the androgen receptors, which means it can block things like testosterone, which is going to cause a decrease in the muscle's ability to adapt to training or to a stimulus. Coupled with that temperature rise means that it can really negatively impact our overall performance. So is a pest, is progesterone. Um, And then we're going to move on to the last one, which is the androgens or testosterone. Testosterone is obviously a male hormone, so you might have heard of it because it's quite prevalent in males. So women do produce this still, but we have in general about one fifteenth of the amount that men have. So it can go from one tenth to one thirtieth. And um, we have very, very little amounts of testosterone, but we do still produce it. The exception is what we see in women with PCOS who do have elevated levels of testosterone. So higher than the normal female. So these hormones, um, such as testosterone or androgens, possess masculinizing effects like body hair, acne, oily skin. Um, and their primary effects in the body are androgenic. <laughs> Ah, you're gonna have to bear with me because I can never say this androgenic there we go and anabolic so androgenic is basically what I've already mentioned it's the masculinizing effects body hair acne all that kind of jazz and then anabolic refers to building tissue so increasing overall aspects of performance through strength and muscle mass and all that jazz so the effects of testosterone in men and women are mostly the same with the exception of When we see elevated testosterone in women, it impairs insulin sensitivity. When in men, it generally improves insulin sensitivity. So this can have a knock-on effect on body fat levels. What we see in women with higher testosterone levels is it increases body fat, especially around the stomach, giving us that little apple shape. Whereas in men, it tends to reduce this. So again, when we see women with PCOS with higher levels of androgens, we see the shift in body fat and we also get this insulin sensitivity reduction as well as the masculinizing effects of these hormones. Um, Generally, we have really low levels of testosterone, like I've said, and the effects are fairly small and our levels stay pretty stable across our cycle. So I'm going to dive into the cycle now. So the menstrual cycle in itself, we tend to talk about it as a 28-day cycle, but actually it can vary massively from woman to woman. So it can be shorter, it can be longer. In general, it tends to be 24 to 33 days. But if you sit outside of that, please don't worry. It is a very, very individual cycle. We break it down into four phases, usually. So it starts with menstruation. So day one of your cycle is the first day that you bleed. So that's menstruation. Then we've got the follicular phase, which is the second phase. And this these two phases take up the first two weeks. Then you've got ovulation. Then you've got the luteal phase. So we tend to talk about it and simply break it down into two phases. The first kind of two weeks or the first half is your follicular phase. And the second half, which is your luteal phase. So 
in the first half, um, as soon as you start your bleed, you are in the follicular phase. And in this phase, we are estrogen dominant. So if you think back to estrogen, that is the good guy, the good gal. Lots of positive things we can expect here. So an increase in your ability to recover, increased capacity for adapting to the training that you may be doing, kind of have your peak feelings of well-being in this part of your cycle, which translates into if you are somebody that is physically active or likes to train, you might want to increase your kind of intensity or your overall volume in this period and make the most of how you adapt and how you feel. Um, you're going to feel a lot more motivated and have overall better mood. So keep that in mind. And if you are somebody that's dieting, this may be the time where you maybe want to push a little bit harder in your calorie deficit or your energy deficit if that's where you're going. So these are some things that can happen in this first half. It's really important to say before I move on that each cycle is very individual. Okay, so please don't listen to this and think, oh, I'm definitely going to feel like this or this is definitely going to happen to me. Track how you feel and make any changes that you want based on how you feel. So that's the first half, follicular phase. Then we're going to go into the luteal phase. So this is when we tend to be progester and dominant. So as we move from the follicular phase to luteal phase, the halfway point is ovulation when the egg is released and we see a little tiny spike in testosterone there. Other than that, testosterone is pretty stable throughout. So I'm not going to mention testosterone again. But what we get when we move into the luteal phase is we have the increase in PMS, so premenstrual syndrome, which some of you will be aware of and will have heard of, that is changing mood, it is cramps, it's boob soreness, all that wonderful stuff that we can experience. And it also can sometimes lead to PMDD, which is just a more severe case of PMS. Um, so as we move into this luteal phase, there can be disturbance in our mood. In severe cases, really, really tough changes in anxiety, depression, things like that. So one to be aware of. Um, if you are somebody that seems to suffer, is maybe tracking a cycle and seeing when this this part of your period comes up and how you can make things better for yourself and have a bit more compassion for yourself, shall we say. This also means that there is a bit of a potential for some emotional eating around this time, which is what I have seen personally working with females and for myself when I'm feeling like this. I will emotionally eat because I'm feeling emotional. Um, because of the negative effects of progesterone and the fact that it blocks out the positive effects of estrogen, we're going to find that there can be potentially a decrease in performance and recovery. So if you're somebody, again, who likes to work out, is fairly active and you really struggle in this part, maybe implementing some deloads or just reducing your overall training volume. Um, if you don't want to and you physically can't, then don't try and push through. Like we said, um, when we talked about progesterone, you're going to have this increase in body temperature, so an increase in energy expenditure and an actual increase in your basal metabolic rate. It's only around about 8 to 16%, which translates to about 200 calories. But when women say that they are hungrier before their period or they have cravings, it is legit. Um, there is a physiological reason why you feel this way. So if that's you, then you, you have a couple of options. You can simply eat more. Um, because you are essentially expending more, you've got a little bit more room to play with. If you're dieting and you can and you feel up to it, maybe you just take the extra deficit and you just carry on as normal. Um, just be aware that you might feel hungrier. Um, so if 
fat loss is a goal for you, doing things that are going to help you manage your appetite and your hunger, increasing your protein intake, you know, getting more fiber in, all those kind of things. And I think a really key thing around this area, if you are somebody that does find that their mood completely shifted, finding tools to manage your stress. Emotionally, and it's not always bad. I've said this time and time again. But if that is the only tool that you have to manage stress, then it can become problematic, especially if you are somebody that is trying to improve your health and your eating habits and your relationship with food. So try and find other things to do that are going to help you with whatever mood you are in. Um, so that is the cycle in a nutshell. The first half is, is kind of the good half. The second half, maybe not so good. But that being said, I've worked with women that have very little change throughout their cycle. They don't really notice any changes. I've had women that are like two different humans. So I think the key thing is tracking your own cycle, keeping a note of the things that change, whether you feel hungrier, whether you feel like you've got more energy, whether your training feels better, and just seeing how you go and making changes based off that. Please don't think that, oh, I am definitely going to feel hungry here or I'm definitely going to have less energy here because that can become a bit of a cycle that you feed into yourself with. I want to touch on contraception. Um, And the main question that comes up is, you know, does this cause weight gain? How does this impact my cycle? So there are lots of different types of contraception. Obviously, the only ones that you really want to be interested in are the ones that contain hormones, but they actually are synthetic hormones, but they're hormones nonetheless. So you've got things like the pill, the implant, the patch, and you've got coils. So with the pill, there are two different types of pill. You've got the combined pill, which contains artificial versions of both progesterone and estrogen. And then you've got the progestin-only pill, which contains one of maybe eight forms of synthetic progesterone. Um, Implant also is progesterone-only. The patch um, has both progesterone and estrogen strains. And then you've got the coil. So you have an IUD, and that is the copper coil referred to, which releases copper into the womb. So there again it doesn't really act like a normal uh, a normal contraception and you tend to have a very very normal cycle and the normal fluctuations up and down as you would if you had no contraception then you've got an IUS which again is a coil but it has hormones however these hormones are released into the womb and tend not to make it to the bloodstream and into the outer body so the main ones that you want to be taking into account is the pill combined pill progesterone only the patch and the implant. You also have a vaginal ring that I've not mentioned. That is progesterone only if anyone's interested or uses it. I've never met someone that uses it, but hey ho, these are these are crazy times that we live in. Um, so how does it work in very simple terms? It works by what we call feedback inhibition. So these synthetic forms of our normal hormones, estrogen and progesterone, basically tell the brain that our hormone levels are normal, which causes our body to reduce its own production of these hormones. And specifically some hormones called luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. And what this does is it prevents ovulation. So the reduction in luteinizing hormone reduces estrogen production, while the reduction in follicle stimulating hormone prevents a follicle from developing or being released which is basically how an egg is released. So ovulation does not occur. That's the main way that it works. It also thickens the cervix to stop sperm getting in, like a bit of a barrier. Um, And it thins the line of the womb, which makes it harder for an egg to implant if ovulation occurs. So then what are the effects is what people tend to ask me. So on the cycle, the effects are obviously that it can provide some control. 
Um, it will control the timing of your cycle. It can give you a more regular cycle. That's why a lot of women with PCOS um, and endometriosis and stuff like that are prescribed a, um, a pill or contraception. If you have very, very severe periods, then this can reduce the severity um, and it can offset some of the disruption that you might find from PMS and P PMDD. Um, if you have really heavy periods, lots of cramps and pains, you might find that going on the pill reduces them. That is completely your choice if you decide to go on it because of that, of course. I'm not here to tell you whether you should or shouldn't be taking contraception. Um, in terms of performance, strength and muscle gain, because it prevents ovulation, it eliminates the spike that we see in testosterone around the time of when the egg is released, which might, in theory, affect acute performance or long-term train adaptations. However, the research is really lacking. Um, not, all, not only is it really hard to do research on women because of these fluctuations, there is not enough good quality research out there. Um, we are seriously underrepresented um, under in a lot of the studies. Um, so we can theorise, theoreticize. Look, listen, welcome to my podcast. In here we stutter and we don't know how to pronounce words. We can hypothesise, let's use that word, um, on the effects that it may have. However, again, it's going to be very individual based on your levels of hormones and how you feel. So it's not really something that we need to stress about too much. Um, on fat loss, now this is the main thing I get asked all of the time. So women tend to go on contraception and find that they gain weight. There is no evidence to show a cause and effect link between women that take the pill and that causing weight gain um in general women we, we gain weight over time and this is more the natural consequences of aging and sometimes it's just changing our lifestyle you know we may be eating more than we realize we may be moving less than we realize and it may just be the normal effects of our cycle that is increasing our appetite or causing us to move less um you know dips in our motivation when we're not as active as we think we are but we sometimes tend to use our contraceptive pills a bit of a scapegoat now, I'm not firing shots, but that is what I know I've done in the past, and I know it happens a lot. The only one that I haven't really mentioned, um, the only contraception that does tend to show um, a relationship between weight gain is the depot injection, which is progesterone only. So that does show that women tend to gain weight over a period of time. Um, again, it's not something that you then have no control over, it's just something to be aware of. I guess the take home is that it's really hard to make any definitive conclusions on whether there's any cause and effect between um, contraception and different outcomes. Uh, there needs to be more research, but there needs to be more good research done. So not something that you should really stress about. And then I just want to kind of round up with other than the things that we've discussed in terms of mood and training and nutrition um there are some supplements that you might want to consider if you're somebody that tends to suffer so the main one that i'm going to talk about is called chaseberry or vitex or agnes castus um this is basically a herb it sounds really airy-fairy it's like ooh herb but it has repeatedly been shown to outperform placebo in lots of studies so people are giving vitex people are giving a dud um and they found that it really, really significantly reduces the PMS symptoms that women can have around their cycle. So 
around four to 40 milligrams, which is a massive gap, I know that, but I think starting low and then seeing how you go and increasing it upwards, um, depending on the severity of your symptoms, is a good place to start. You can get it from most health shops, Holland and Barrett, all that jazz. So that is Chaseberry or Vitex Agnus Castus. Um, the next ones are calcium and magnesium. So calcium, we say around 500 to 1000 milligrams a day. I have very much of the belief that you should try and get stuff in your diet before you supplement it. But if you struggle to get it in or you kind of know that you're deficient, then taking a supplement is it's going to cause no harm. Let's put it that way. Um, so the studies are largely in agreement that calcium supplementation, especially in high doses, can reduce symptoms of PMS, especially those pain-related outcomes, so tummy pains and cramps um, and that kind of jazz. Then you've got magnesium. And magnesium is the second most common deficiency that we see behind vitamin D. So again, it's not going to hurt to take it if you feel like you are deficient. Um, around 200 to 400 milligrams a day is the recommended dose. And it's shown a moderate reduction in symptoms of PMS. Um, one study found that actually it had a bit of an additive effect with vitamin B6. So I know there are some supplements out there that um, combine calcium and magnesium and then magnesium and B6. So, you know, if you want to try both, have at it. And then that kind of cottons, um, cottons on. Yeah, we'll go with it. it. It tags on to vitamin B6 and vitamin D. Now, like I said, most people are already deficient in vitamin D, especially if you're not getting much sun. So I recommend that everybody supplements with vitamin D anyway. Around 1,000 to 2,000 I use a day. And then vitamin B, 50 to 100 milligrams a day, helps with the physical and the psychological um, symptoms. The, the research is kind of there. It does have some promising um findings however it seems to depend on the degree of deficiency so basically the more deficient you are in these things and you supplement the better the effects are going to be if you're kind of not deficient and you increase it it doesn't really have much of an effect um and that's pretty much it i hope that makes sense uh, i hope that's been helpful clear some things up for you I would definitely say if you don't track your cycle already start you know start by making a note of when your first day is um how long your menstruation lasts and then you know when it starts again you'll get an idea of how many days your full cycle is there are apps that you can use one of them is you know natural cycles i know you can use the health app if you have an iphone or you know good old pen and calendar will do the trick too so start by tracking it and then start by you know a bit of self-assessment how you feel throughout the mood please don't take what i've said as gospel and go well sky said i'm gonna be hungry here so i'm gonna eat more um very much a individual response because it's going to depend on your level of hormones and how these hormones are running around in your body so that's all for this week this episode I've no idea how long it is um but I'm gonna stop it in a minute and find out if you've got any questions you know where to throw them you can either throw them in the Facebook group if you're in there or you can find me on Instagram and drop me a DM but I will catch you all for the next episode thank you for listening